to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And Brenna, we are back to another forecast episode. I love the promise of a forecast episode. It's just me being like, these are all books I'm totally going to read. <laughs> and as we've established, many of them we do not get around to. But we do like to talk about them. <laughs> we do love to talk about them. And we love to find out if you guys read them, then we can hear more about them. <laughs> we've been really true. trying to keep our homework focused on things we've actually read, though. So I think we now have this nice distinction between the homework and the forecast like when we actually get finished a book and have something intelligent to say about it then it becomes homework yes mm -hmm. correct mm -hmm. so before we dig into our recommendations for the next couple of months we do have a piece of mail that we wanted to address and folks we're just going to preface this in two different ways which is that we received a couple of different emails from people and we're just trying to keep this episode a little briefer because they tend to run a little long so we're gonna do a bit of a mailbag roundup in the next mini-sode mm -hmm. so that's the mid-july mini-sode and also, we're recording these relatively far in advance, so it's possible that you may have written in about Artemis Fowl, you might have written in about Harry Potter, and at this point we won't have received it because those episodes haven't published for us yet. So they're new to you, and they're very old for us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it's been a big email week, and we've gotten a handful of emails that we really want to give focused thoughtful to. responses to and we want to really sort of dig into um and so for that reason we're just going to address one of the letters today just to give each email we received its due we really do love it when you write in particularly when you make us rethink some of our perspectives but we want to give that appropriate time when we address so if you're waiting for a response we promise we're not ignoring you we promise <laughs> yes so with that context in mind we did get an email from hannah and she is writing to us i think from the uk because she yes. describes herself as a british pakistani muslim and she wanted to address our mini-sode on never have i ever which is that mindy kaling netflix series about the indian american girl who she wants to lose her virginity, but she's also struggling with her relationship with her mother, who is a bit more traditional and would like her to uphold a different set of values and so on. Mm -hmm. So Hannah wrote in specifically to focus on the storyline about Kamala, which is uh, Davy, the main character's cousin, who moves in with her after her dad dies. And Hannah in particular had a comment about the way that we were talking about this idea of like a traditional Indian woman who also wants to live her own life because Kamala is, she's in the middle of being betrothed to someone that she hasn't met but she has a boyfriend that she's dating at caltech and mm -hmm. a big part of her storyline is how does she negotiate being true to those traditions and the responsibility that she feels to her family but also recognizing that you know she's got this guy that she really likes and he's maybe not a suitable partner in the eyes of her family yeah, her, her story is all about that tension, right? Like, we don't learn that much about her beyond that. Like, that's really her purpose in the show is to kind of act out that storyline. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. And particularly in the last couple of episodes, which we didn't talk about explicitly, I think because at the time, it was still relatively new. So we didn't mm -hmm. want to spoil the ending. But that story comes to a particularly interesting fruition, because at the end of it, Kamala ends up kicking her boyfriend from Caltech to the side 
after she meets this guy that she hadn't met before who she's maybe going to be betrothed to and she finds out he's actually an interesting guy who's very open-minded and maybe she can have that connection so it's an interesting compromise between these ideals but that's less of the point hannah wrote into us to to just make us a little bit more wary of the way that we're talking about stories, particularly ones that fall outside of our culture. So she was concerned about the way that we were talking about some of these experiences and the representation of second generation immigrant teens and how those can be just as much a trope and a stereotype as some of the items that we identify in the YA bingo. Mm -hmm. And I 100% want to take ownership of that. And I think Brenna, one of the things that you and I chatted about offline was not just the importance of things like own voices, but also the need for us to hear back from listeners about where we need to be mindful or if we Mm -hmm. should have said it in a different way. Yeah, I think that it's a very fair critique that we weren't reading Kamala's storyline as a trope. And Hannah very rightly points out that this is actually something that sort of gets trotted out a lot, particularly in young women's narratives of sort of attempted inclusion in a Western context. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I think that the commitment that we can make going forward, you know, these plots do turn up and we're going to have to talk about them when they do. But I think that we should be a lot more aware of of how they function from the perspective of trope than we demonstrated in the episode. Mm Mm-hmm. So in that email, Hannah also brings up Love, Hate, and Other Filters, which is a book that I talked about. I'm not sure if I talked about it on a forecast episode or as homework. I'm not actually 100% sure I ever finished it, Joe, but I really do remember (laughs) enjoying it. This was before I was keeping a record, and so I'm not sure. But Hannah points out that that book plays with a lot of the same tropes and that we didn't demonstrate an awareness of that. I think that that is totally fair. And Hannah points out that the book reviews amongst Muslim women have not been sort of uniformly glowing as they have been amongst maybe non-Muslim critics, and that that's worth thinking about. That's something that I'll pay more attention to going forward. Love, Hate, and Other Filters is an own voices story. It's by Samira Ahmed, and I certainly don't want to say, Samira Ahmed, your perspective's not valid. (laughs) But I think Hannah brings up some wise critiques. And, you know, we also need to think about how publishing pressures writers from certain communities to rewrite the same narratives over and Mm -hmm. over again, because they're narratives that are perhaps more comfortable to a white audience. So I think all really good comments and, and something that we can take forward into our future viewing is just to be aware that tropes aren't an exclusively Western phenomenon. And Mm -hmm. we need to think about how own voices and and diverse stories either also trade in tropes or are pushed into relying on tropes in order to sort of fit an expected narrative within American and British publishing. So these are all things we're going to be more attentive to in future. Mm -hmm. And one final piece about this is that Hannah actually opens the email by saying that she debated for a long time about whether or not to send an email to us because the episode made her feel a little bit uncomfortable. And she said, you know, she really likes the show, so she didn't want to come at us. But Hannah was very respectful. And 99.9% of the emails that we receive from people, even if they have an issue, are always 
very respectful. Mm -hmm. So I guess if nothing else, it's that we encourage dialogue. So we said it a couple of times. We, we really like to hear from you folks, even if it is something where it's constructive criticism and you'd like to see us do something differently or be better in any way. So it's important that people think of this as a bit of a dialogue. So mm -hmm. please don't ever hesitate to reach out to us and explain your position. Or if you had a different reading, we always want to hear it. We do. Part of the whole purpose of doing this show for both Joe and I is to be better consumers of media. Mm -hmm. We can't do that without feedback. So definitely never feel like you shouldn't send in your comments. Unless you're telling me you don't like my laugh because I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows it's the best part of the show. <laughs> right. Yes. Unless it's Groot's laugh, which I think has started to supersede yours. Yeah, no, I, that's fair too. I actually, when I was setting him up with the iPad today, I was like, okay, we need a show that actually doesn't make you laugh out loud. <laughs> Stop censoring your child. I know, but the Harry Potter episode is a lot. Have you edited that yet? It must be a nightmare. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So one last piece before we transition into our July and August picks is that we did also hear from Leo, who gave us a mini-sode recommendation. So we're going to fold it in a little bit to this one. And Leo kind of issued us a challenge, which is that we have talked a lot about gay YA. Mm -hmm. We talked a lot about white YA books. So Leo asked us if we could specifically make some recommendations for indigenous YA, mm -hmm. as well as lesbian YA. So Brenna, you and I divided and conquered, and you took the indigenous recommendations, and I took the lesbian recommendations. And I'm interested to hear what you came up with. Yeah, and these are great recommendations for recommendations on Leo's part, because of course, it is both Pride Month, and this episode is coming out right around National Indigenous Persons Day in Canada, which is the third week of June, usually. So yeah, I think it's great. This suggestion was great, and I'm glad we're able to do it in this episode. Mm -hmm. So I kind of went in a different direction than I usually do for recommendations. I am going to round up a few books that I know I've mentioned on the show before, just as a reminder, but I started watching a film last night. I will confess I haven't finished it, but I wanted to tell everybody about it um, because it's uh, an Indigenous-made film and it's available right now if you're in Canada and you have access to the CBC Gem app. It's streaming for free all through the month of June and July, I believe. Okay. And it's called Rhymes for Young Ghouls. Joe, have you heard of this? I have heard of it, but I've not seen it. So I've only watched the first half, but the first half is incredibly gripping. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm going to finish it tonight. It's um, a 2013 film. And I'll just read you the blurb. Do it. Set against the backdrop of the residential school's tragedy, which saw thousands of Indigenous children separated from their families, cultures, and languages, Mi'kmaq director Jeff Barnaby's debut feature resembles an Essie Hinton novel reimagined as a surreal, righteously furious thriller. Hmm. At the tender age of 15, Alia has taken over the drug-dealing business of her father, Joseph, while he serves a stint in prison. Joseph's return signals an abrupt end to Alia's reign as the reservation's narcotics queen, and it also piques the interest of Popper, the reserve's corrupt and sadistic agent from the Department of Indian Affairs, as it was then known. Yeah, uh, sorry, this film's set in 1973. Oh, uh, okay. The bloody tragedy that unfolds becomes an angry and poetic howl for lost lives, lost opportunities, and lost loved ones, a fever dream whose terrifying fictions are grounded in an even more terrible fact. Hmm. Yeah, it's um incredibly gripping thriller, and it's super dark, but it's also beautifully shot. Oh, yeah. The ways in which the sort of emotional turmoil of... Alia gets represented on the screen is really, really beautiful. And uh, yeah, so I, I highly recommend it. 
I wouldn't say it's an easy watch, but it's a beautiful one. And it's it won a whole bunch of awards. Definitely worth your time. So yeah, that's my first recommendation. That's great to hear because um, I know that Jeff Barnaby, he's one of the more prominent Indigenous filmmakers working in Canada right now. I had the pleasure of reviewing his new film out of TIFF last year, which is a Indigenous zombie film called mm-hmm. Blood Quantum. Mm-hmm. It has some YA characters in it, like teenage to like new adult characters in it, but it's a fascinating take on a zombie film which is like fairly traditional but in this case it's that indigenous people are actually resistant to the zombie strain so jeff barnaby's really great it's exciting to hear that this film is also really good yeah and i think this was his first film and you know it's really it's an interesting thematic interest oh sorry that was terrible but (laughs) that we're seeing in indigenous storytelling right now which is this idea of post-apocalypse from the perspective of communities that have already survived an apocalypse. Right. Right? And so what does that kind of storytelling look like? And I think we're going to see a lot more emerging out of this COVID period. Mm, I hope so. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to check out more of Jeff Barnaby's work. You know that thrillers are not my genre of choice. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is extremely well done. (laughs) It must be if it's reeling you in. Exactly. And then my second pick is again a little bit different it's nonfiction, which we don't normally focus on on the show but it's a collection that i read when it first came out and really loved it's called not your princess voices of native american women edited by lisa charlie boy and mary beth leatherdale and this isn't exclusively young adult but it includes a lot of stories of girlhood which is why i wanted to feature it so the description says whether looking back to a troubled past or welcoming a hopeful future the powerful voices of indigenous girls and women across north america resound in this book in the same visual style as the best-selling dreaming in indian hashtag not your princess presents an eclectic collection of poems essays interviews and art that combine to express the experience of being a native woman Stories of abuse, intergenerational trauma, and stereotyping are countered by the voices of passionate women demanding change and realizing their dreams. Sometimes outraged, often reflective, but always strong, the women in this book will give teen readers insights into the lives of women who, for so long, have had their history hidden and whose modern lives have been virtually invisible. Hmm. Yeah, I chose this collection for a couple of reasons. There are the fewest representations of Indigenous people of any cultural group that that we track through stats. It's Mm -hmm. less than 1% of books published every year for young people have Indigenous characters. And oftentimes that statistic, depending on who's collecting, can also include sort of historical representations. Like one year, a reprint of the Little House on the Prairie books got, got collected in that stat. No, come on. Right. And so often Indigenous people are seen in historical contexts. And even when those representations are perhaps favorable, it's a really damaging narrative to suggest that Indigenous people only exist in the past. Mm -hmm. And so what I love about this collection is that it focuses on the modern lives of Indigenous teens, particularly, but girls and women generally. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked about how marginalized communities are often required to sort of trade in pain as the primary storytelling that gets a wider, particularly a white audience. Right. And what I love about the Not Your Princess collection is that there is a lot of Indigenous joy in this collection too. Oh, good. Yeah, so I strongly recommend it for anyone who's looking for more stories. And also just the fact that it's a collection means you'll find a whole bunch of new voices that you can then go out and read other stuff by. So I love a collection when people are looking for more, more representation. 
Mm-hmm. And then just a few honorable mentions, texts we've mentioned before, A Girl Called Echo, which is a comic book series. So it's by Katerina Vermet and Scott B. Henderson does the art. And the first time I ever mentioned it on the show, there was only one issue. I had just read Pemmican Wars and we talked about it, I think, in our first season. Yes. But since then, Volume 2, Red River Resistance, and Volume 3, Northwest Resistance have come out. So I highly recommend going and picking up those comics. They're really gripping and interesting. We've also mentioned on the show before The Marrow Thieves, which is a dystopian novel, which I think, Joe, we'll be able to talk about soon because the CBC is making a miniseries of it. I keep promising, but (laughs) until I see like trailers or actual release dates, I believe nothing these days. I know. But The Marrow Thieves by Sherry Dimeline is another story about Indigenous resistance and survival in a dystopian context. It's an incredible book. I've taught it. I love it. Uh, And then finally, a comic book that I mentioned really briefly, like I think in our year forecast last year, called Mm -hmm. Surviving the City, which is a comic book about two Indigenous girls and, well, I mean, it's literally about surviving the city, but it's about (laughs) sort of trying to maintain cultural resilience and kinship in the context of a modern city. And it also is set on the backdrop of the missing and murdered Indigenous women. So one of the characters is, is in the city searching for her mother. So that's Surviving the City, which is by Tasha Spillett, with art by Natasha Donovan. So those are my recommendations. Okay. Yeah, I'm excited about all of them. And if you read any of them, write in. (laughs) (laughs) It's compulsory. Please. (laughs) All right. So I'm on the lesbian recommendations, and I decided to go with contemporary releases. So these actually could have doubled for our last forecast preview because they both come out within the last couple of months. Nice. Yeah, so I'll take a moment also to remind people that I quite enjoy Deep and Darkest Red, which was the story about the plague of red shoe dancing that happens in Europe. So that was an interesting one because it's lesbian and also trans narrative. And then I mostly liked Hot Dog Girl, which had like a kind of sweet coming out same sex Mm. attraction that took place at a theme park. So my two new recommendations... So I can't actually vouch for the quality, but the advanced reviews of these seem to be pretty good. So the first one is You Should See Me in a Crown, which is by Leah Johnson. It has a kind of flavor that reminded me from the description of Dumplin'. So it's about a poor black girl who is in a small Midwestern town and she's desperate to escape. In part because she's a lesbian, but also in part because she just doesn't really feel like she fits in because the town is obsessed with prom king and queen. Right. So very similar to Dumplin' in that regard. She uh, originally had a plan and then it falls through financially. So her only way to get out of town is to win the scholarship that accompanies winning prom queen. So she has to engage in that process, which is not something she really enjoys, but she's determined to get that scholarship. The only issue is, of course, that she happens to also fall in love with new girl Mac, who is one of her competitors. Ah, I'm already very invested in this story. <laughs> yes. So that sounds very lovely. I. In the spirit of pride, I opted to go for love stories because there's a lot of damaging hardship stories about lesbians and lesbian relationships, particularly in YA and pop culture. So like, there's a lot of doomed romances, and I just don't really feel like anybody needs those right now. I strongly agree. (laughs) Yeah. So 
The second one is called The Henna Wars by Abita Jai Gurdar. Apologize if I massacred that name. This one is described as a combination of when Dimpo met Rishi and Simon versus the Homo sapiens agenda. Uh, I'm in. The basic <laughs> log line is that it's two girls who fall in love with each other, but they have rival henna businesses. <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. Yeah. So that one just sounds super cute and sweet. I'm literally putting it on hold right now. <laughs> Okay, so Brenna, the time has come to make some recommendations for July and August. So Yay. as folks may remember, when we were talking in the last forecast, I believe we mentioned that a bunch of titles got shifted around because of COVID. So yep. this would traditionally be the hot time of year when people would just be releasing books all willy nilly. <laughs> but uh, in this case, I think it's been a little bit more pared down. So yeah. uh, I'm curious to see which things you've come up with. So hit me with your first pick. Sure. The main thing I've come up with is that September is going to be ridiculous and we might need yes. to do a double length. Like we might need to do a September and an October because mm. September is overstuffed to the point of foolishness. Yes. So my first pick is a book I've actually read the first few pages of because I managed to get an advanced copy of it and I'm really in and I think you're going to like it, Joe. It's called The Voting Booth by Brandy Colbert. Okay. And Brandy Colbert is a Stonewall award-winning author. Nice. So the description of the book is, Marva Sheridan was born ready for this day. She's been driven to make a difference in the world, and what better way than to vote in her first election? Duke Crenshaw is so done with this election. He just wants to get voting <laughs> over with so he can prepare for his band's first paying gig tonight. Only problem? Duke can't vote. When Marva sees Duke turned away at their polling place, she takes it upon herself to make sure his vote is counted. She hasn't spent months doorbelling and registering voters just to see someone denied their rights. And that's how their whirlwind day begins, rushing from precinct to precinct, cutting school, waiting in endless lines, turned away time and time again, trying to do one simple thing, vote. They may have started out as strangers, but as Duke and Marva team up to beat a rigged system and find Marva's missing cat, it's clear that there's more to their connection than a shared mission for democracy. Romantic and triumphant, the voting booth is proof that you can't just sit around waiting for the world to change, but also that some things are meant to be. Oh, so it's timely and romantic. Right? So it's all about voting rights. Brandy Colbert is, uh, is a black writer. You should follow her on Twitter if you don't, because her Twitter feed is fire. <laughs> and I'm really excited to read a romance about voting rights. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is so me in a book. I'm very excited. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. I feel like you've probably picked some very Brenna-esque titles this yes, month. Yes, <laughs> I did. I did. Well, I saw, I mean, The Voting Booth, like, it's such a good title. It's like, if The Kissing Booth was good. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> so that's my first pick, and it comes out on July 7th. Okay, so my first pick, it also comes out on July 7th, and uh, I took it upon myself in part because of what we're seeing with Black Lives Matter, but also there was a, a really interesting hashtag, which I've forgotten the specifics of, but it was basically encouraging YA authors to post how much money they got as advances for their books. Mm. And of course, it became very evident very quickly mm -hmm. that all of the white authors had gotten very substantial advances and a lot of the black authors had not. So I took it upon myself to pick only people of color for this forecast. Nice. It's small, but it's something that I said, you know what, there's plenty of good books that are being written. And there's absolutely no reason why I can't make more of a determined effort to vary the types of authors I'm profiling. You know, it's worth saying that that's worth having an editorial stand, right? Mm -hmm. That's important. And this is our editorial stand. It's good. Okay. 
So the first title I'm going to profile is called Cinderella is Dead by Kaylin Barron. And as I mentioned, it's out on July 7th. So this is a fantasy. It's 200 years after Cinderella found her prince, but the fairy tale is over. Teen girls are now required to appear at the annual ball, where the men of the kingdom select wives based on a girl's display of finery. If a suitable match is not found, the girls not chosen are never heard from again. I know, right? I was like, oh, okay. You're going dark right out the top. So 16-year-old Sophia would much rather marry Aaron, her childhood best friend, than parade in front of suitors. At the ball, Sophia makes the desperate decision to flee and finds herself hiding in Cinderella's mausoleum. There she meets Constance, the last known descendant of Cinderella, and her stepsisters. Together they vow to bring down the king once and for all, and in the process, they learn that there's more to Cinderella's story than they ever knew. This sounds amazing. Yeah. Sorry for my long break. I'm just thinking about a Cinderella story with pretty dramatic stakes, and I'm actually pretty excited about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As always, you know, I, I like a subverted fairy tale, but this has a little bit of queer romance mixed in there. There's a little bit of political uprising, but it's all firmly under the guise of this is the fairy tale that you know and are familiar with. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Okay, my second pick is something that we haven't spent a lot of time talking about on the show. It's an own voices coming out story about an aromantic asexual character. Yes, I did see this. And the only reason I didn't try to steal this from my own (laughs) list was because I could not figure out when this book is supposed to come out. It is coming out on July 9th. The reason why that was hard to figure out is because it's a British release. So our American friends may have a hard time getting this. One of the benefits of being in Canada is that... (laughs) The colonial connection. The colonial connection. We have, we get usually same day distribution of both British and American book releases. Ah, okay. And so I checked. Canadian readers and British readers will be able to get this on July 9th. I couldn't confirm that American readers will. Right. But... Uh, you know, you could always order from a friendly Canadian bookstore that ships across the border. There you go. So this book is called Loveless by Alice Oseman. I have to read you the synopsis because it's so good. Mm -hmm. It was all sinking in. I'd never had a crush on anyone. No boys, no girls, not a single person I had ever met. What did that mean? Georgia has never been in love, never kissed anyone, never even had a crush. But as a fanfic obsessed romantic, she's sure she'll find her person one day. As she starts university with her best friends, Pip and Jason, also love a British book with a character named Pip in it, just gotta say, (laughs) in a whole new town far from home, Georgia's ready to find romance, and with her outgoing roommate on her side and a place in the Shakespeare Society, her teenage dream is in sight. But when her romance plans wreak havoc amongst her friends, Georgia ends up in her own comedy of errors, and she starts to question why love seems so easy for other people, but not for her. With new terms being thrown at her, asexual, aromantic, Georgia is even more uncertain about those feelings than ever. Is she destined to remain loveless, or has she been looking for the wrong thing all along? This wise, warm, and witty story of identity and self-acceptance sees Alice Oseman on towering form as Georgia and her friends discover that true love isn't limited to romance. Hmm. Joe, listen to what it has. Brand new at university, Shakespeare, female friendships. Mm -hmm. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And like an unconventional protagonist, right? Like Absolutely. someone that we're not often hearing stories about. No. And in fact, if you look at the Goodreads reviews for advanced reading copies of this book, everyone is like, I'm just so grateful this book exists. Yeah. <laughs> there are not enough stories about aromanticism and asexuality. And the questions that one would have 
feeling that way in a society that is so laser focused on romance and marriage. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty excited for this one. Cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what is it again? It is called Loveless by Alice Oseman, and it's out July 9th in the UK. Okay. So my second pick, we're going to jump all the way to the end of August. It is called Now That I Found You by Christina Forrest, and it's out August 25th. Following in the footsteps of her uber-famous grandma, 18-year-old Evie Jones is poised to be Hollywood's next big star. So, obviously, this is for me, because it's about Hollywood movies. (laughs) That is until a close friend's betrayal leads her to be blacklisted. Fortunately, Evie knows just the thing to save her floundering career, a public appearance with America's most beloved actress, her grandma, Gigi, a.k.a. THE Evelyn Conaway. The only problem, Gigi is a recluse who's been out of the limelight for almost 20 years. So days before Evie plans to present her grandma with an honorary award in front of Hollywood's elite, Gigi does the unthinkable. She disappears. With time running out and her comeback on the line, Evie reluctantly enlists the help of the last person to see Gigi before she vanished, Milo Williams, a cute musician Evie isn't sure she can trust. As Evie and Milo conduct a wild manhunt across New York City, romance and adventure abound while Evie makes some surprising discoveries about her grandma and herself. Aww. Yeah, so it's like a little bit Hollywood. I love the idea of a search for grandma around New York City. Aww. And of course, you know, obvious romance with Milo. I love it. Yeah. Anything intergenerational and sort of family, we don't see a lot of those stories in YA either, so yay! Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that is Now That I Found You by Christina Forrest, and it's out August 25th. Cool. Okay, Joe, my final pick is one that you actually sent me. (laughs) With, I believe, the caption, I guess I'll just do your homework for you, and a link to this book. Yep. (laughs) And I feel like, as soon as I saw it, I got really confused, because I feel like we've talked about it before, but then I realized maybe it's one of the books that I was going to pick in a previous iteration of this that got pushed. Oh, interesting. Okay. It feels really familiar to me, but the book is called Six Angry Girls by Adrian Kistner. And uh, the tagline is a story of mock trial, feminism, and the inherent power found in a pair of knitting needles. <laughs> Honestly, it was that alone. I was like, I'll just send this to Brenna. <laughs> <laughs> so the description is Raina Petrie is crushing her senior year until her boyfriend dumps her, the drama club basically dumps her, the college of her dreams slips away, and her arch nemesis triumphs. Which, P.S., of those four things, you know that last one is the worst, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially when the other things are happening and yes. you're like, oh, and I'm being surpassed by that person. Yep. The worst. Things aren't much better for Millie Goodwin. Her father treats her like a servant. The all-boy mock trial team votes her out even after she spent the last three years helping to build its success. But then an advice columnist unexpectedly helps Raina find new purpose in a pair of knitting needles and a politically active local yarn store. This leads to an (laughs) unlikely meeting in the girls' bathroom where Raina inspires Millie to start a rival team. The two join together and recruit four other angry girls to not only take on the mock trial, but to smash (laughs) the patriarchy in the process. Yep. Oh, I'm here for it. (laughs) I mean, mock trials and knitting and female friendships and female rage. Yep. Oh, God, I love female rage. More stories about girls and rage, please. (laughs) I'm excited. Yeah, so that one comes out August 18th, and it's Six Angry Girls by Adrian Kistner. By the way, is Six Angry Girls not a much more terrifying title than Six Angry Men? Twelve Angry Men? However many men were in that movie? (laughs) Uh, It is 12, and (laughs) I would argue one angry girl is scarier (laughs) than 12 Angry Men. Yeah. 
angry girls will change this world if we're not realizing that out of all of the protests and social upheaval in the last six months we'll never figure it out uh yeah if only we would actually give them the recognition that they freaking deserve true true all right joe what's your last pick all right so my last pick is possibly one of my most anticipated ya books of the year i've been following this one for quite some time been pushed back so that's why i haven't spoken about it until now but i am talking about cemetery boys by aiden thomas yeah september 1st so let's see if people think that this is a me book so when his traditional latinx family has problems accepting his gender yadriel becomes determined to prove himself a real brujo with the help of his cousin and best friend maritza he performs the ritual himself and then sets out to find the ghost of his murdered cousin and set it free However, the ghost he summons is actually Julian Diaz, the school's resident bad boy, and Julian is not about to go quietly into death. Oh my god. (laughs) He's determined to find out what happened and tie up some loose ends before he leaves. Left with no choice, Yadriel agrees to help Julian so that they can both get what they want. But the longer Yadriel spends with Julian, the less he wants to let him leave. Oh my gosh. It's ghosts. It's gay. (laughs) It's written by a trans author. (laughs) This just looks great. Even like the cover art. I see the cover art and it's gorgeous and I just want to hold it. It's ghosts and it's gay should be the tagline of your website. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably expand it a little bit to like it's supernatural. But yes, I'm I'm not at all opposed to that idea. <laughs> oh, Joe, I love it. Okay, I've got two not quite honorable mentions, but reminders that I just want to remind everyone about. Books that we've already, I've already reviewed in homework. Okay. But that are finally coming out because I know I drive Joe crazy when I read the arcs and talk about them. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, so you mean you're actually going to talk about books that the rest of us can access now? I am. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> so the first one is Julie Murphy's newest book, Faith, is yes. out in July. This is the origin story of everyone's favorite fat superhero, Faith. So go and check that out. I believe it's out first week of July. Mm-hmm. And then Grown, the new Tiffany D. Jackson that I talked about that is totally an R. Kelly narrative and so, 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 so good and also has has some murders. You should definitely check that out. And that's coming out in mid-August. Okay. My gosh, I forgot. New Tiffany D. Jackson. I know. New Julie Murphy. I know. Okay. So I have an honorable mention and it is not one that I've talked about because it actually only came up when I was looking for books from black authors uh, for my horror book club that I'm part of for my other podcast. So this is one that showed up in that search and it is called A Clown in a Cornfield by Adam Cesare. The logline is Quinn Maybrook and her father moved to tiny, boring Kettle Springs to find a fresh start. But ever since the Bay Pen corn syrup factory shut down, Kettle Springs has cracked in half. On one side are the adults who are desperate to make Kettle Springs great again. And on the other are the kids who want to have fun, make prank videos, and get out of Kettle Springs as quick as they can. (laughs) Fair. Right, (laughs) yeah. So the town is caught in a battle between old and new, tradition and progress. It's a fight that looks like it will destroy the town until Frendo, <laughs> the Bay Pen mascot, a creepy clown in a pork pie hat, goes homicidal and decides that the only way for Kettle Springs to grow back is to cull the rotten crop of kids who live there now. I'm in love with everything about this. It just sounds super bizarre. And yep. again, the artwork on the cover, it's a clown face crop circle. <laughs> like, it's just super funny and weird looking. And I kind of hope that it's actually really scary. 
That's amazing. All right. So that is Clan in a Cornfield, and it's out August 25th. Right on. Okay. So, folks, I hope that we've given you some things to get excited about, both for National Indigenous Peoples Day and for Pride Month and Mm -hmm. for July and for August. We all need some things to look forward to. So I hope you've loaded up your holds list and put in some pre-orders and are ready to roll. Yeah. So we will be back next week so that we can talk about... The Babysitter's Club. Yeah, I'm so excited. (laughs) So we're going to be checking out this new Netflix show. And I think we're going to be reading a couple of different installments and different versions. I put so many on hold at my library. They're doing the library takeout thing. I can't wait to see the person's face when I go to pick up my giant brown bag of Babysitter's Babysitter's Club Club books. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. We're going to be doing, what is it, Christy... Christy's great idea. I keep calling it Christy's big idea because I'm conflating it with Christy's big day, which is also a really good Babysitter's Club book. Oh my gosh. I'm going into this ah! stone cold with zero ah! awareness. So this is going to be very interesting, Brenna. I'm surprised no one has write it, written in yet to give you the advice that you can skip the first three chapters of every Babysitter's Club book because they're identical always. <laughs> uh, things to look forward to. <laughs> So yeah, so folks, that is uh, what we're going to be covering next week, The Babysitter's Club. And as we mentioned, in a couple of weeks, we're going to do a big email roundup. And maybe, we'll see, I might force Brenna to watch a movie. But we'll see. <gasps> Could right. be terrible. We'll we didn't discuss know. that off the air. All right. <laughs> so while I'm fighting with Joe about watching a movie behind the scenes, you can get in touch with us on the Twitters at hashtag HKHSpod. Joe, how do they find you to talk about clowns and cornfields? <laughs> you can reach me at BeastOnMyRemote, and that's the letter B. And I'm Brenna C. Gray, that's Gray with an A. And if you have something longer, you can always email us, hkhspod at gmail.com. Mail roundup coming up. Mm-hmm. So until next time, I'll see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.